Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that is, um, your word is an anointed thing. That it is a, a message and a seed that is sent out to each one of our hearts. And it will grow uniquely, differently in each one of us. And I pray, Lord, that that is happening right now. That people are hearing your spirit, hearing your voice through uh, my words. Amen. Amen. Um, I wonder if I can ask you, it's a rhetorical question because the, the answer will be different from every single person here, what your learning style is. You know, how do you really take in either information or instruction and really learn it? Um, there are a number of theories about this, about whether you should tell people or show them or get them to do whatever it is you want them to do, and it varies from situation to situation, doesn't it? But we all know that there are um, methods of learning which are hugely ineffective. Um, I seem to recall most of my school life comes into that category. I don't know about yours. Um, that's a bit unfair. Um, but I, 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 I do recall this frustration at, at, at being immersed in this information which was coming at me, absorbing it, processing it, revising it, because I'd already forgotten it, then regurgitating it in some form of exam and then forgetting it the next day. And even my degree, I was thinking about this the other day, I can remember more about my A-levels than I can about my degree because the style of teaching was very different. Uh, in, my, in my school they kind of engaged with us more in one-to-one, -one, uh, more of a relationship with the teachers in university. It was, well, here's the library card and it's over there. And um, I, I still can, I can recite some stuff I learned at A-level, but not my degree. It's kind of gone out of my head, really. Well, Jesus was here in this situation with a bunch of people who were his learners. And we call them um, disciples, but actually contextually, of course, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And sometimes he's referred to that by the, the, the disciples themselves. But what, what a disciple really is, is a learner. And in fact, um, I was listening to some teaching the other day at our life group where um, the speaker said you could almost interpret that as apprentice. And I instantly got this picture, a very unhelpful picture, of Alan Sugar saying, Judas, you're fired. You know, that, that kind of came into my head and I thought, that's not really what we're talking about. But that's the kind of thing. Here were a bunch of people who were not just learners. They weren't students. They were apprentices to a master. And the end game, the whole point, was for them to go out and then do what he did. Not simply know about him. Uh, I read this the other day. Uh, it's just a... Uh, one of those uh, pithy phrases that somebody comes up with, but it said this, it said, we cannot do this, this, this kingdom of God thing, we cannot do this without God, but God seemingly won't do it without us. I don't know where that takes you theologically, but on, uh, as an observable fact, that seems to me to be true. We cannot do this without God, but he seemingly won't do it without us. It has always been, since the Garden of Eden, a kind of covenant partnership 
between the power of God and the love of man and the obedience of people to God. Now, if you recognize that sentence as true, it challenges you, doesn't it? Because we were in that, it immediately puts you in that, that place of having to obey or contemplate not obeying. And what are the implications of that? If you read on in Luke 9, um, I think it's in Luke 9, um, this story gives way to the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's the next kind of episode in, in the story. Now, again, simple Bible scripture exam question, who fed the 5,000? Answers? You know, it's like QI, isn't it? You're all afraid of losing 10, more, 10 points. Who fed the 5,000? The disciples. Yeah, I told you it was a trick question, so you didn't fall for the trick. The instinctive reaction um, uh, answer is to say Jesus fed the 5,000. And if you read in your Bible, mostly, mostly the little headings will say Jesus feeds the 5,000. Of course, the supernatural power behind that miracle emanated from him. But the disciples fed the 5,000. They stepped out in a very risky way to some very hungry people on a very hot day and gave and gave and gave and gave and trusted and trusted and trusted and trusted until at the end of it there was enough not only for everybody there but 12 baskets left over for them. So this calling, this apprenticeship into which we are all invited is about this multiplication and this this kingdom of God truth. Rather than this absorption of theological knowledge about God or about Jesus into ourselves, which which becomes this kind of debilitating self-indulgence if we're not careful. Now, I, I want to make one thing Um, absolutely clear life the thing that you do is stressful it's demanding it can be difficult it can be um, incredibly uh, sad it can be incredibly happy it's got all of those things going on and sometimes survival and rest and trusting in the community and the care of God and getting healed up and getting better is the thing you need to do. You know, sometimes we need to come into the, into the house of God, into the community of Christ and say, look after me, I'm broken. And that applies probably at some point in our lives to all of us. And there are some people who come from contexts and circumstances where that need is extreme. But that's not the same thing as saying God does not have a purpose for me. I just need to come and be. It's not the same thing as saying I don't have anything to do with spreading the kingdom. I just need its benefits for me. And also, that mission, the mission that we are called into, is very often found in the ordinary stuff of life anyway. If I say that God has an apostolic call on your life and he wants you to go into mission, 
if I put it that way and wave my arms about, you instantly think of China or India or somewhere foreign, somewhere abroad, anywhere but here. And I'm not saying that. I think the office that you work in is a foreign country, isn't it? If, you're, if, you, if you live in the kingdom of God, that's probably a foreign country. Um, your neighbours, no matter where they actually come from, in a sense, live in a foreign country. They, they're not, they don't know about the kingdom of God, perhaps. Maybe other members of your family, in a way, are a mission for you. And as you step out of your comfort zone into their world and risk rejection and risk disruption in what they are and who they are and what they're doing, that's a risky business, isn't it? And that's mission. That's what Christians are called. They're called to be salt and light in the world. You know, salt has a flavor. Light exposes the darkness. It makes a difference. It's um, a change in what is going on there. And what Jesus sent them out to do here, verse 2, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And the mission of the Christian is, is, is profoundly simple but incredibly difficult. It's to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. All sorts of ways we can define heal. That's another story, another sermon. But that's the risky business so what is this kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is not a place. It's not a geographical place. It's not heaven. It's not Jerusalem or Israel. That was the great mistake of the Crusades, to think that there was something sacred about a piece of turf. And it's not the church. The kingdom of heaven is not the church. The kingdom of God is that part of your life, my life, where he is sovereign where his rule is being obeyed, where we are saying yes to him because he said yes to us, and where we are proclaiming that message to other people, where we make choices and decisions based on his character and in response to his love, that is the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God there is power. So where the kingdom of God is proclaimed, the first thing we see in this story is that there is some risk, there's some pushback, because all of a sudden there's this character called Herod the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, son of the, the, the Herod that we talk about at Christmas, this was one of his sons. And he said, hang on a minute, I thought I dealt with this, I thought I killed John the Baptist, who's this? Has he come back to life? What's this, what's this kingdom of God stuff going on? I'm the king. You see, straight away, one of the litmus tests of the kingdom of God is whether there is a little bit of pushback. Whether there is a little bit of rejection. Maybe a little bit of resistance. A little bit of, um, what's, what's the word? Corrosion of the opposite of the kingdom of God. Where you're chipping away at something which doesn't want to give in. And you get this pushback. So in the office, maybe that's a little bit of teasing. Or, or in your family, it might be a little bit more than that. Some, something a little bit more like rejection. To a friend, it might be a, a tense and nervous conversation. But if it's anointed of God, it comes with the peace of God. That risk is worth taking because the, the power of God is in it. It's part of what we're anointed to do. The second thing I want to say about risk 
is this. Um, Jesus, curiously here, sends them out and says, take nothing for your journey. Don't take anything with you. Don't take your staff, your bag, your bread or money and don't have two tunics in my translation. The point about risk here is a certain amount of that takes us into a very, very healthy but slightly scary place of trusting in God instead of trusting on our own resources. I came across this, this verse is in Proverbs, Proverbs 30, where the writer of the Proverbs is saying by way of a prayer to God, this, this is Proverbs 30 verse 8, Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Now the writer of the Proverbs there recognizes this profound piece of wisdom. That it is possible in terms of our relationship with God to have too much. To be reliant too much on what we have. That there is a place of security and safety where the faith really is in what we can do. The faith really is in what we are in control of and what we can resource. And I've been there many, many times. I'm thinking, well, I'll do this for God because I know I can do it. I know that that's within my ability to do. And straight away, the bar, the target, the kingdom of God bar is here. The Barry bar is there. It's a good type for a pub, I guess. But, um, you know, there's a big gap there, isn't there? There's there's, there's, this, this, and I can be happy with this if I succeed. But actually God is saying, do you know what? There were 5,000 needing feeding. Well done for feeding the 20. You had enough for that. What about the other 4,880? My maths is dreadful, I'll tell you that. It's, um, it's getting worse. <laughs> I've lost count of the number of times I get my songs wrong. Songs wrong. Anyway, um, God is saying... There's the kingdom of God. There's your ability. Your ability and your talent and your resources have this great seductive danger about them that they look quite good. What Jesus is saying, don't take that with you. Just go out. Stay in the first house that offers you hospitality. Don't look for the best place to stay. Just stay. If it's a great mansion, great. If it's not, don't worry. Just trust that it will be provided for you. But the key word is trust. When I googled how to trust God when things are going well, nothing came up. Nobody writes about that. Every article I found about trusting in God always started with the same sentence. It's easy to trust God when things are going well, isn't it? But not when they're going badly. And I understand what that's trying to say, by the way. I'm not, um, 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 what's the word, you know, lessening the impact of suffering and difficulty and what that has in our faith. But as a personal reflection, I find the opposite to be true very often. That when things are sailing along 
and really flying and, and I'm in control and I've got the resources I need and I can turn the switch and the, and the expected result happens, my trust in God diminishes. My, my feeling of need to go before him in prayer lessens. And my sense of risk and danger and the need for his anointed power disappears. And I'm back meeting this lower bar, back, back to where I can do it. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? It's a good proverb, isn't it? Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9. No, no one on the internet wanted to really consider that danger. The danger of having too much, of that, that sense of um, turning your back on the apostolic call of God because everything was okay. What Jesus does here is he calls his people together, equips them, and says, now go out but trust in me. Don't trust in yourselves. Because the, 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 the mission is too big for that. You can do it, but only through me. You can feed 5,000 people, but only if you do as I say. So three quick things. Firstly, Jesus calls. And this is a very personal thing. Jesus calls here the 12. He, just, he doesn't stand in the marketplace and says, anyone who wants to just gather around, anybody who just wants to come, come, I've got, I've got a mission for you. He calls the twelve that he's been teaching. These really were uh, apprentices. People into whom he has invested and whom he knew by name. Jesus knows you by name. He's been preparing you for years in, in areas of your life maybe you don't even recognize. I always love the story of David, you know, and he stood before Goliath um, there with his sling and his stone and actually... God is with him, but also years of preparation, you know, of, of killing bears and lions in the desert and knowing what to do with that weapon. Now, there was preparation there too. And that sometimes in the mundane and the ordinary of our lives, we're being prepared for a kind of mission. And God knows that for us. And he knows it fits us exactly. Um, our life group mantra is, you know, my, my, um, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. In other words, there's a, there's a mission for us, a burden that we carry that is made for us. It is our, our calling, no one else's. Jesus calls those whom he knows by name. He gathers his disciples to him. He didn't put an advert in the paper or stand there under a banner. He just called the people he knew. And he knows you. You are known to him. Second thing is this. Jesus equips those he calls, even if we don't recognize it sometimes, we have what we need. And he gives them two things here that, that, that Luke writes about. One is power, and the other is authority. Power and authority. And the power is the power of the Holy Spirit, which he sends to engage in both physical and spiritual warfare, both of which Jesus recognized to be true. Physical healing demonic forces and he equipped people his disciples to deal with those things so right go out there do it come back and tell me what you've done and the second is authority 
which is different. Any political philosopher will tell you the two things are very different. Power and authority. Authority is kind of like a license, uh, an, an author, uh, a, a permission to use power in a legitimate way. Authority over spiritual powers. Um, authority in terms of being liberated, being free to act. You are allowed to do this. I want you to do it. You have the permission of the king to act in my name. And when you have someone's license, somebody's badge, if you like, don't you feel more empowered? Don't, don't you say, I'm doing this in so-and-so's name, and that's a name you need to recognize. It changes our attitude to what we're doing. It's a form of power almost in itself. And here is the power of an authorized messenger of God. They were sent out with a message and a proclamation and a mission to demonstrate what that message was, which is the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew 10, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you've received, freely give. And that was his mission. That was the kingdom of God that he gave them. I was listening yesterday to um, Radio 4. I've forgotten the name of the program. It's one of those Saturday morning programs that kind of comes. It's on the background. And you think, this is good. I don't know what this is. Um, and it was uh, the Reverend Richard Coles, who's a, who's, a, who's a presenter on Radio 4, and they were talking about poetry as a, as a literary form and how neglected it is, but also how powerful it is if you learn to love it and engage with it. And uh, he said, well, I, I often use this, poet, this poem here to inspire people who are not living to their potential and people who need encouragement. It's written by someone called Guillaume Apollinaire, apparently. And it goes like this. It's like a little little um, liturgical response. Imagine two people um, talking here, person A and person B. Come to the edge. No, we might fall. Come to the edge. No, it's too high. Come to the edge. And they came, and he pushed, and they flew. And there's a small picture there of of maybe two birds talking to each other, maybe a mother bird and a little bird, saying, come to the edge, you need to learn how to do something, and I'm going to show you. And the fear is, no, I'll fall, I'll fail. And with Jesus, it's like, come to the edge. No, you're going to push me, yet you're right, I am. But you're going to fly, not fall. Now, every time you come to that place with God, it will feel like you're going to fall. It will. But the promise is that you will fly. And that's the equipping of Jesus, that you're equipped with the power and the authority to do that. We need to ask the question, do we continually ask God to act, uh, for, for the power to act in the areas where he's given us that authority to act, or are we just holding it in, just doing it in safe places? And the third thing here is that Jesus appoints or he commissions. He changes their status in this conversation. He changes their status from disciples to apostles. This is before Pentecost he does this. The Greek word therefore he sent them is apostello, which means to send, to go to an appointed place or to allow someone to depart 
to free them to go and take a message from one place to another. And in uh, the Matthew 10 version of a similar or the same story, it says, um, he called his 12 disciples to them, gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and heal all manner of sickness and disease. And the names of the 12 apostles are these. So their status changed in this one incident. From a learner to a doer. The event was for them a form of graduation. From student to fellow teacher to a doer. And it says, lo and behold, they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They came back and told Jesus everything that they'd done. Let me finish coming to land. I'll just leave you with that word. That Jesus wants you to go and be his apostle, in a way, in inverted commas. His emissary, his messenger. But that he equips you and authorizes you in every way to do that. The place where you're called to do it, you will know before him. It's a... It's somewhere that you need to seek in prayer, but you know that you are called by name to do that work. And it may well be in your own home. It could well be in your own street. It almost certainly will be in your place of work. But it's an apostolic calling. It's a calling of mission. It's somewhere that you are called to bring the kingdom of God to, to be salt and light in that place. And the danger is that we we come here, we kind of get our needs met, and then go out just mainly barely in our own strength and do what little we think we can achieve. Instead of saying, Lord, where is that bar really set? How high is it? What's your mission for me? What's your calling for me? Guys, do you want to come up and, and lead us in some worship? Two things. If that is true of you at all, if you think God is calling you into a new phase of authorized ministry in your life, in any domain, come and come and have some prayer. Let, let's let's um, share that together and pray with you. And the second thing is a standing order here. If you need the kingdom of God spoken into a circumstance in your life, Come forward, let's pray for you. If you need healing today, if you need empowering, if you need his touch for you or for someone you love, come and be prayed for. Let's stand, shall we?